We cleared last week the, uh, the clearing of the temple in, in John chapter 2. So we're going to take a look at John chapter 2 and the last part of that story. And while we do that, I skipped a slide today and really regret that. I didn't do it on purpose. I, I skipped some because of time, but not this. So I'm going to leave this on the front pew. If while studying scripture, you don't know how to find the context, if you're not really sure how to find the history behind that passage, who wrote it, where it goes to, or the like, you can fill the library with very expensive books, and there's nothing wrong with that. But there are two books I just don't do without when it comes to this, because they're quick, they are correct, they, it's the state-of-the-art history, scholarship, and the like. And they're both printed uh, by the same company. One is the Oxford Bible Commentary, and it will go over every passage in Scripture, but briefly, it's more of a context history linguistics to give to you at least you understand that bit. But then I also have the Oxford Companion to the Bible. I've had a lot of people say, well, how do you know all of this about the Jewish festivals? How do you know all of this about the geography of where he, when he went from here to there? It's all here. And now they are big books. However, and, and they can be very expensive. However, there are always used copies on Amazon, always, that you can get for $15 to $30 each. That is still a sizable investment if you're on minimum wage, and I get that. So look about the paperbacks that are used are very often will drop even further. All right? These two books really do the part of many commentary sets that you probably wouldn't get that much out of anyway, frankly. Um, so Oxford Companion to the... Uh, I'm sorry, the Oxford Bible Commentary and the Oxford Companion to the Bible. I'm going to leave this up here. All right? And again, I skipped that passage, to, uh, that, that slide today by... Purely by accident. <clears throat> Did not mean to. What I, I may do, um, <clears throat> Laurie Lee's not up at the top. I think I'm going to work that into the e-blast this week. Please remember next week that uh, Lauren Schrader is preaching with her father, Russ King, who's the preacher at Donaldson. And that will be a sweet and wonderful thing to behold. Uh, I'd my, my daughter has preached at me, but never with me. So uh, that's, that would be a very different thing. They, uh, especially since I send her videos. Because <laughs> she was worried about tornadoes and storms and said, in, in the closet there, there's the food and there's the helmets for the boys. And so I sent her a video of them playing outside in the rain and rolling around in mud puddles. And uh, so uh, they're not going to ask me for a while. <laughs> I'm, uh, the thing is, though, I'm doing it because I know that my boys get to pick my nursing home. She doesn't. So I'm, I'm giving, I'm going to give Ollie power of attorney. <laughs> That's he's a, he's a three-year-old that I'm not really sure what God intended, but oh my. Um, John chapter two, um, remember he made a whip and I brought this up at the very end. Jesus did not lose his temper, <clears throat> which is a weird expression anyway. Do you, uh, I've had people say, you know, you didn't lose your temper, you found it. Well, it just means you don't understand temper. Temper is the ability to bend rather than break. So tempered steel is layered steel. 
It's not a, it's not a block of steel. That you, like, for example, a samurai sword, um, not the ones you'll buy in a market for, you know, for 20 bucks, but the, the real historical beasts that, that are more like 20 and 50,000 each. They have hundreds of layers laid down, hammered in, sand, uh, not, polished, not sanded, and then hammered again. It is amazing what all they go through. To have a temper, it doesn't break then. So when you lose your temper, you've lost your ability to, to be who you are, and you have broken. You've broken your character. But Jesus didn't break his character. As I said, as we had to rush out last time, watch what he did. He made a whip. He didn't go to whips are us. He didn't grab one from a passing caravan. This was a thoughtful thing. And I've had people say, no, this would have been the Roman style of what we have. No idea, so just stop it. It's a whip. Then he goes in. He overturns the tables of the money changers. He drives the cattle and the, the sheep out from the, the people selling those. He tells the people with the birds, take your birds and get out. Did you see the difference? You can always pick up your money later. You can always grab a cow later. In fact, I don't understand why people hunt deer at great expense when cattle are so much easier. They really are. They're asking for it, if you ask me. But the birds, you overthrow those and break the cages. You don't get the birds back. Jesus not only is not described as hitting anybody, he's also, on the record, is he didn't destroy any property or deprive anybody of property. He didn't lose his temper. He made a decision, and he executed his decision. <clears throat> In fact, there is something not mentioned here, which I find fascinating. And, and as one of the greatest atheists of all time, uh, before Richard Dawkins, everybody knew Anthony Flew, not Anthony, there's no H in it. It's very, very English. Anthony Flew was the, the best-known atheist for almost all of the 1900s. Uh, head of philosophy for several like Oxford, Cambridge. I mean, he was just right there. He debated until he was in his 70s whenever he wrote a book called There Is No God and the Word No is Crossed Out. It's a very short book. It's very useful. One of his things is, why didn't they say this? Why didn't they tell us this? And the fact that they didn't indicates that everybody there already knew that so well, there was no reason to tell it. And he liked the, liked the sermon to the two men on the walk to Emmaus. Not told. You know what's left out here? A real biggie, the temple guard. That would have been doubled during this time of year, during Passover time. The temple guard was rather like the Buckingham Palace guard. Now, uh, it used to be that you could go up to the guards and see if you could make them you know, blank or look at you. You can't do that and haven't been able to do that for decades because people started hitting them and throwing things on them, stupidly. Uh, and you, people th assumed that they were kind of what we would call chocolate soldiers, um, which just means uh, like on a, a tin of chocolates, you know, they're just kind of tourist guys. No, it's rotated out. But to be one of the Buckingham Palace Guard, you have to be a grenadier, which is very, it's like a, a, an army ranger. These guys are really, really good at fighting. And those rifles they're carrying are loaded. And they are ready. I, we've seen them in a couple times swing into action. When Cammie and I were still living there, and you may not recall any of this, 
but they were showing, um, I forget who it was, but somebody was being, you know, given a country or something. You know, you're going to be the Duke of Cornwall now. All right, lovely. You know, I was going to give him socks, but fair enough. Um, and and the, her majesty and I like, were, were parading down the street in their carriages, and a bomb went off. And it, if you remember, it was a nail bomb. It slaughtered several horses and the like. And you saw all of a sudden these guys with the big bearskin hats. The hats were gone. The rifles were out. The bayonets were fixed like this, and they were in there. These guys are good. That's the kind of people they had as temple guards. They were the best. They were the elite. In fact, if later on, spoiler alert, the, prayer, the, uh, the trial of Pontius Pilate, uh, with Pontius Pilate, one of the things that the Jews said was, we're afraid that the disciples will steal away his body. And he says, you have a guard. You've got a paramilitary. It's really, it really was a paramilitary in that the Romans did not approve of it, but they allowed it. They allowed it. And so he says, you've got a guard. Not a one of these guards stopped Jesus. Now, I've had people say, well, could it be that they sympathized with him? When you say, could it be to a scientist, the answer is yes. The likelihood is more that Jesus did it in such a way that they decided it wasn't worth it. It just wasn't worth it. My original, my first degree was in criminal justice. And I was thinking about taking the counseling, correctional counseling track rather than the law enforcement until I did some correctional counseling. Oh my goodness. The, uh, I won't go through the whole thing, but I was the first prison that I was uh, ushered into was in America. It was in Alabama, down south of Montgomery, Draper Prison. I don't even know if it exists anymore. Um, and it, it, was, it wasn't like the movies. In the movies, every, every one or two people have their own little cell. It's kind of clean. <laughs> no, it's dormitories. Here are all the bars, and you open the bars, and it went way back there. Uh, you know, I don't want to exaggerate, but at least six miles but it went way back there. And there, there are men stacked up everywhere, overcrowded. And the, the guy they wanted me to talk to was in the back of that thing. And I said, what happens if they see this little white foreign guy and decide, oh, he's cute, let's play with him. I said, will, will you come in? They said, no. And at first I, was, I thought they were kidding. You've had those laughs. Oh. They didn't even have, a, I thought, Where, where's your gun? Because I'm in America, everybody has one. They're assigned at birth. Where's yours? They said, we, we don't wear them because they could take it away from us. So far, the confidence meter is not moving, frankly. And I said, why won't you come after me? And they said, not for, and they named what the minimum wage was at the time, an hour. Okay, then. You know, related news, career change. Um, I'm, I've suddenly, yes, Lord, I've heard another calling. I must be away. <clears throat> I, I wonder if there wasn't some of that at play because Jesus did not look like, I can so see you kids. <laughs> Catherine's trying to sneak through with the kids and the kids are on their, on their hands and knees crawling past. You're allowed. I, you have something else? What? Sorry? You're, oh, they have the spies counting out the land. All right. Fair enough. Yes. Ooh, who are they going to pick to be the Rahab? Church finally became fun. Anyway, um, <clears throat> try continue on. I won't point you out. I, I wonder 
if we have not so ingrained the medieval painters and Renaissance painters' view of Jesus that we don't understand what it would have been to be the son of a stonecutter, which is what the word most likely means rather than carpenter. A stonecutter with scars and calluses and muscles gained from that, that work. Not gym muscles, work muscles. He may have had a hard belly because work muscles don't make you look like the gym rats. Here he comes in, and there are a couple of times in Scripture where the apostles were about to question Jesus and one of his decisions until they looked at him. And when they saw his eyes, one of them even says, well, if he's going, let's die with him. Because they realize dying is easier than trying to talk him out of that. But we don't see that. We always see the sweet um, white Jesus who shines a bit, long, lovely hair, holding a lamb. There are other Jesuses because he was a real guy. He's a real person. Um, we, we didn't have time last week. I actually, a whole page of notes, a whole exercise I was going to do, moved to the side. But when we get to it in the Gospels, I'll, I'll try to work it in there. But one of the things I ask people to do is when there's a story of the apostles in a boat, get in the boat. Now look at each person's face. What do you see? What's going on? I had one, one lady goes, if I do that, I get seasick so easily. Yes, get in the boat. People got seasick. They weren't all shining. People had very little teeth at this age. They had scars. They had missing digits at this stage. They'd have an eye put out. They'd have, some would be bald. Some would, would have would cuts in their hair. That it, what'd they look like? Uh, there, there was a story of Easter that was done a couple of years ago. And Cammy and I went to it and we really, really liked it. Historically, it was, it, I really enjoyed the way that they played it in the movies. The only thing I had a real problem with was, even though they mainly used Middle Eastern types for the apostles, everybody had beautiful teeth. And they were always smiling, showing all of it. And I'm going, get in the boat. Some of them stink. This is 1900 years before deodorant and the like. You remember the, uh, the colonials had these little fluffy lace things and they waved around hand? That was because they dipped those in scent to wave around away their own stink and the stink of others and the stink of the street. It was such an elegant time. Really? Go back, enjoy it. The whole point here being we've got to get back here and understand Jesus was a tough guy and nobody stopped him. Then the Jews responded to him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus, Jesus was snippy. He said, destroy this temple and I'll raise it again in three days. And you can tell he wasn't standing there to have a discussion. Not with an answer like that. He's walking. He said, try to take me, buddy. You kill this thing, I'm coming back. But they didn't get that. They replied, it's taken 46 years to build this temple. And they, they have the same contractors we do. That, uh, they, I hope one of them's not visiting today. He's going to say, no, let's never fix his bathroom. Uh, the temple he had spoken of was his body. But he, he, after he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he said. Then you see, what does that indicate? He didn't stop and explain it to anybody. We have been told by God to be good. We've also been told to be kind. I'd like for you now to buy a concordance. Strong's exhaustive is highly recommended. Find the word nice. 
Sometimes we allow people to act like we're supposed to out nice Jesus. So if you say that's wrong, oh, you can't judge. No, I'm not judging you. He told me that's wrong, and I trust him. That's wrong. That's a, that's a problem. And people go, well, that's not kind. You're, be, you're, being, you're being judgmental. We all are judgmental. We went through our closets and decided which clothes made the cut today. I don't mean to be unkind, and I hope this isn't, and I didn't do it, but it was hilarious. I was at a, preach, a church I was serving long ago, and a lady came in with hair that was unique. Now, she was one of our members. She was a nice person. But I'd never seen anybody do hair like this. And it, 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 was, it was different. She walked by. I didn't say anything. Not my place. One of my elders stood beside me, Charlie, like this. Looked at her. Now, Charlie was a provost for a, for a university. He's a good man. He's not an ignorant man. But I, I'd never thought of it. He said, Patrick? I said, yes. He said, do you see that hair? I went, yes. He says, she thought about that. She planned this, put effort into it. She thought about that. And I had never thought about that before. But I've seen people dress since then and gone, they intended that. That was what they were, they were going for that. Okay. I'll never forget. We were in a little village of Dundonald, Scotland. What did it have? Like 1,500, 2,000 people at the best, maybe. And uh, it's out there in a row, there are, you know, hills of sheep around, you know, in ruined castles. There's not much else there. I step out my front door, and here comes this big punk. No, not punk in his character. In his, he was wearing the big platform boots that come up to here with the leather and leather all over. And, and spiky hair, way big. I can't, my first thought was, how do you, in the morning, you don't look like this. How do you, how do you fix it? Anyway, he walked in, and he was just standing there. And I looked at him, and he goes, why are you looking at me? And I went, why do you think? You kind of stand out. I thought you were going for that. And it didn't go well after that. We have not been called to be nice. We've been called to be good. Here's a thought. Well, sometimes my kids growing up wanted to go see a movie. And I said, no, not that movie. I was being good. Did it feel good? Not to me, not to them. Goodness has an edge to it. Please remember this. Goodness has an edge. To be good, there has to be an edge. Oh, it's not good. It's being permissive, not being good. It is not being kind. For example, my little Fen and I were doing all kinds of electricity experiments the last couple of days. We have a kit. It was not on your homes or any other homes. We learned our lesson. Anyway, I, we were doing all this, and he was he, building circuit boards and such. He was having a great time with all of this. Um, then he asked a question about, well, can we try this? And I went, no. And he looked at me and goes, why not? I said, because that would be do this. And then I even showed him the breakers. I said, let's find the breakers for the house. I opened it immediately. He starts stepping back. What are you doing? And I said, well, I'm, I'm touching him. He goes, don't touch him. I went, understand something. Light is good, electricity is good, but it has an edge. You play by the rules. Nobody gets hurt. So we should have flipped a breaker that left our room in darkness. And ah, he, didn't, he didn't quite. That was inside, but I could tell it was, it was leaping up. And I clicked it on. He goes, why did you do that? I said, to show you. Am I alive? He goes, yes. I said, because I played by the rules. 
we got to understand goodness and good things, cars and the like, freedom has an edge. Well, Jesus did not you know, just walk. The, the disciples didn't ask him about it. Do you notice that? Going, all right, we know why you're really rough to the Pharisees over there, but we're your buddies, we're your, you know, we're your posse. We've been with you for all this time. Uh, can you give us a hint here, a clue? Can we buy a clue? Jesus said nothing. Why didn't they ask him? Because Jesus was good. But as C.S. Lewis said about the lion character in Narnia, which is a representative of Christ, when the little girl asked, is he good? The answer was, he is good, but he is not safe. I love that. That's brilliant. I want that on my tombstone, but I haven't lived up to it, and they're not going to spend that kind of money. I'm just going to be cremated. One of the boys said, well, there's a special next week. Anyway, moving on. Now, he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival. Many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. There were things about Jesus that he wished he could have shared with his friends. He could not. His position meant, no, I have work to do. I'll do that later. Not now. He even goes, he did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. In other words, he knows us. We don't know him, but he knows us. As again, C.S. Lewis put, think of the worst thing about yourself. I hate it when people ask me to do that. I'm going, you're going to have to give me some time. And he says, God knows far worse about you than that. And he still loves you, intended to love you, and knew what you were like before he decided to love you. That's brilliant. It really is. Now there was a Pharisee. I love the way that it starts. You know, let me tell you a story. There's a Pharisee, a man called Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night, stop the presses. I've had people say, he had to come at night because the other Pharisees, oh yeah. Can we just stop that? We have no idea why he came at night. I'm assuming he worked the day shift. People come at night, don't they? A general rule, do not imply or do not, uh, that's not the word. Mark, help me out. Um, put bad, do not infer attribute. That's what I'm looking for. Do not attribute bad motives or bad behavior or bad character unless it's expressly stated. Don't, don't attribute it. Um, here he is. Rabbi, we. Look at that. There's a collective. Jesus had fans in the Pharisees. A lot of them. We know that your teachers come from God. No one could perform the signs you're doing if God were not with him. Now again, we're not getting the rest of this discussion because Jesus' response seems to be odd and out of place. He goes, verily, truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. When I was a boy, this was a very hard concept. And so I understand why it's a hard one for Nicodemus, don't you? He says, um, how can someone be born when they're old, Nicodemus? Surely they cannot enter a second in time into their mother's womb to be born. Again, you might think, why would he say that? It is a very common Semitic way of doing a public argument. Semitic languages do not have what we would call curse words. They have different words that they put together 
as curses. Do you remember that? I think it was a little Jimmy Dickens had a song years ago, May a Bird of Paradise Fly Up Your Nose. That's the way they curse. And the way they argue is by inserting the absurd to help frame the argument, to kick in, to show what we do not understand. So they'll, they'll throw in the absurd. Nicodemus was not being out of line. He was playing by the rules when he responded like this. Jesus answered again, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. There have been volumes written on this saying, what? Well, it really helps you if you know your Old Testament quite a bit, and if you know what the words mean here. We would put it this way, God knows what God knows, and God does what God does. He does not require a counselor or an advisor. This is the way it's going to work, Nicodemus. You are born of flesh, but you're also going to have to be reborn in your spirit. You have to be a new person. You see, the faith, faith in Jesus requires a change in action and behavior. I've used this illustration so many times. But if the state troopers were to come in and say, we have credible information that a bomb is in a building, we don't know where, but we believe it's of significant strength and we really need to evacuate the building. If you sat there, everybody else is leaving, and, they, and the trooper walks up to you and says, no, really, sir or madam, you have to leave. And you looked at him and says, no, no, I truly believe you are correct. But my faith that you are correct will shield me from all harm. I would advise a trooper to leave you there. Um, maybe we don't need that gene pool anymore. If you think like this and you walk around with sharp implements and can drive a vehicle, you're a danger to society. But we do the same thing with Jesus. We'll say, I believe in Jesus, but we don't change our behavior. Really? What big life decisions don't make you change your behavior? Getting married, you'd better change your behavior. Having a kid, you better change your behavior. We were babysitting, like I said, uh, our three grands, but they also got a puppy. Because my daughter evidently said, this isn't a challenge enough. Puppy does not own a clock. Puppy thinks at 3 o'clock in the morning, it's playtime, let's go, and I need some bathroom action. We are not in control of things, but if you complicate your life, it's going to get complicated. If you bring things in, it requires a behavior change. I was thinking, why can't they just have a fish? You know, a fish. My daughter says, you can't pet it. Oh, yes, you can. And then you don't have a fish. You get the petting action and a problem is solved. But anyway. And you could take a fish for a walk in Nashville this winter. My scientist's grandson, Fen, even asked me, how does the rain fall out of the clouds? I've had answers for that all my life. Yesterday I was going, oh, no. I didn't think it would. It's just, oh my goodness. You know, I'm a Church of Christ guy. I can't run out there. We don't do sprinkling. You know, it's, um, 
here he comes. This is odd to us, but you've got to change who you are because of Jesus. Martin Luther, German theologian, fought with depression and, a real, and real anger most of his life. But he would stop himself and say out loud, but I have been baptized to correct himself. I am not allowed to act this way. I have been baptized. Wow. Jesus is looking at Nicodemus saying, it's going to require more than believing. It's going to require change. And Nicodemus knows this. And he is asking, how can I change? And Jesus goes, it's not up for you to know the how. Now think about that. Jesus is saying, you have to change. He's not going to tell you how. How, what is the power of change in a Christian's life? I got 10 minutes. What? Exactly, the Holy Spirit. So how does he do that? Oh, no. You don't either. <laughs> Heath, Ohio, Southgate Church of Christ, sometime in the 1900s, around 1990 something. They asked me to come and teach a VBS class because they did what many do. Instead of doing VBS every day in a week, they did it five or four or whatever it was, Wednesdays in a row. And I, they asked me to teach the adult class on the Holy Spirit. I said, fine. So I drove over, uh, stepped up. And these are my friends here, David Myers, who loves this church and shows up when he's here as well. Uh, he said, you probably need to know, our church has been in, in the middle of a church fight over whether the spirit indwells in us through the word only or he indwells in us personally and how that works. I looked at him, I said, how long have you had this information? <laughs> he said, well, we've been struggling with this for a year. And I went, uh-huh, I've got five minutes. <laughs> but I stood up and I said, I know that right now there's a discussion of how the spirit indwells in us. Two things. Number one, he does. Number two, none of us know because he's the spirit of God. And he comes and goes, and he does what he does. That's it. We're on, we're on the ride. We are on a roller coaster ride, whether you want to be or not, which for me is never want to be, ever. But because I, I have children, I've worked with youth groups, I find myself on these contraptions from the very bowels of hell. And they're even shaped like the bowels of hell, if you watch it a little bit. You know, oh, there's a colon. And um, every time I get on one and that bar goes clunk, First of all, there's, there's a bit of play in this one. Can, can we? It's, there's, there's pat. I can, is there, are there pat, styrofoam peanuts? Is there, is there, where's the bathroom? On this, and it goes, right? And you realize, I'm committed. I can't get off now. We're climbing the hill. There's some idiots up front going, wee. And the people beside me, raise your hands. No, I would have surrendered in the parking lot. But it's too late to surrender at this point. I'm holding on to the bar. You know why? It's all I have. This is all I have. I have two doctorates, a loving wife. I've had a good life. And right now, my entire world is this is all I have. Every morning when I wake up and my eyes go open, I hear clunk. God's in charge of this thing, not you. Here we go. I had no idea where it was going to take me. And I have no idea from here where we're going because all they got is the bar. And I'm holding on to it because I believe the Holy Spirit's in charge of this thing, but oh my goodness. There were some twists and turns I did not see coming. Like those roller coasters that go into dark places because sheer terror is not enough. 
We must add ignorance to it. People line up for this. They line up for this. Anyway, um, this is why psychiatrists will always have a job. How can this be? You are Israel's teacher, and you don't understand these things. In other words, he's still trying to, okay, and we do this. Explain the steps. Very truly, I tell you. Have you noticed, have you noticed how many times he's going very truly? Jesus says that every so often. He never says it this often. This is far more than any other passage you're going to find. Because he likes Nicodemus. He's trying to get through to Nicodemus. Buddy, pay attention. Listen to this. We speak of what we know and we testify to what we've seen. But still you people do not accept our testimony. Wait a minute. Who's the we? In verse 11. Well, yes, I agree with, and I want to get there that second. The first is the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. He said, we know this stuff. Are you going to listen to us? We're the visitors from the far country. You're going to listen? But then we're going to testify what else? Those changed lives. I told you before, I got an email. I was in Colorado. Are you the Patrick Mead? And I went, oh, geez. So I sat on that for a while, and I finally, yes. And it came back, what the beep, 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 beep happened to you? Because they found me, and I'm a Christian. How'd that happen? I don't know. I really don't. I feel for people that have good ditch stories and addict stories. I don't ever want to be an addict. Don't get me wrong. But sometimes they'll step up and they'll say, this is when I found my bottom. This is when I found the the ditch story. I have no idea what happened to me. I was not in control. I was holding on to the bar and God was sending this thing. The bar is all I had. My little world (laughs) shrunk down. I've even had people say, look up, look up. No, no, no. Why? Bad, bar good. <laughs> My bar. I wanted to take it with me. First of all, to beat up the people that got me on. I want to move on. I've spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. Then how will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? Here's the point, people. Here's the kicker. There's evidence of changed lives all around Jesus. You'll either believe the evidence or you won't. That's really your decision. I have people who say, how can I make my son believe in God? You can't. You can remind them of some evidence here and there. But this is your son making a decision and the Holy Spirit making a move. That's not up to you. You live a transformed life. You show them evidence if they ask. That's all you can do. None, now, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the son of man. He's saying, I came from another place. Let me tell you how this works. That's inside information. Has he ever been as open as this about being part of God who's visiting earth? Why would he show so much to Nicodemus? I submit it's because Nicodemus is not a coward, but he's a good man who came out after hours to learn. And I like him. Just as Moses lifted up the snake, oh, mother, here we go. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. we got five minutes. Let's talk about the snake. One of the weirdest stories. They were complaining about God again, murmuring. God does not like complaining and murmuring, by the way. Some people believe that's their spiritual calling, to complain and murmur in the church. Not at Fourth Avenue. We've always said, nope, we won't let you do that here. Well, complaining. And so God sent among some fiery snakes that they weren't on fire. It just meant to bite, burn like fire. 
that if you were bitten, you died. Now, people came and they said, what do you mean? And Moses says, well, uh, well God, asked, God tells Moses, build a serpent and put it up on the pole. I can, I, I'd love to have been there at that prayer session. Because Moses, undoubtedly, because Moses had a real edge to every part of his personality, would have looked up at him and goes, hello, Ten Commandments. We can't make a graven image. God ordered him to do something which was wrong on every single level. Because not only did you have to make a graven image, you had to put it up on a pole and require the Israelite people to come and look at it if they were going to live. That's a weird story. By the way, the Jews kept that for a long time. Finally, they had to destroy it because people kept it as a point of worship. Why? Well, God told them to build it. That's pretty good. I want you to think about this for a while. It's almost like baptism. Baptism sounds so weird to people. Let's go back to the snake for a minute. What if you're, you've been betting, so you're on a road to the snake, and somebody stops you and goes, what, where are you going? I've been betting, going to go look at the big snake. Why? Because God said, the people look at it, they live. The person goes, don't you believe God can save you without looking at a snake? Well, can he? Sure. Don't you think God loves you enough to where you don't need snakes in your life? One would hope. But people do that with baptism. They do that with so many little things. Do you have to be baptized to go to heaven? I'm not in charge of that. And even Alexander the Campbell, uh, Alexander the Campbell, uh, who's British in the room? Uh, Alexander Campbell did not say, um, yeah, mess that one up and you're lost forever. And I wouldn't either. Uh, I hope he saves everybody, frankly. Um, But when somebody stops you from being baptized by saying, don't you believe God can save you anyway? That's when I start going, have you heard about the snake? Remember what it was. It was a complete violation of so many of their laws. And now Jesus has come. And he is going to violate a lot of their laws. Is he not? We're told he kept the law perfectly. And yet he approved of of David eating the showbread. And said so. Because he was hungry. He told people it's all right to help other people on the Sabbath. It's not work. It's being kind. He started his first sermon in Matthew chapter 5. Repeatedly saying you've heard it said. Quoting scripture. But I say to you. Jesus broke every mold just like the snake did. So now you know why there's a snake story in the Old Testament. It's because God needed it as an illustration of what he was going to do when his son showed up. All of those things you thought I wanted you to do, we're, going to re- we're hitting a restart button here. And you better believe Nicodemus got it. Because that story had been hanging over them for the longest time. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Nicodemus, I'm not here to mess with you. I'm here to save you. And I didn't come down here to shame you the way you lived And what the Jews have done, he's a Jew. Jesus is a Jew. He's not here for that. I'm here to save you. I'm not here to condemn you. I know how to swim, but let's say I didn't. And I fall into deep water. I'm flacking about here. If you come up close to me and go, all right, now the thing to do here is relax. And you might now know you're flinging your arms all kinds of directions. Let's pick a direction. Just pick a direction. Now cup your hands when you're going, I'm going to die, right? 
Jesus says, I didn't come to do that. I came to get you. You leave to me the how. You leave the Holy Spirit up to us. I love that. By the way, there are times, I'm too manly a man to cry, but my eyes sweat sometimes. There are times when I read verse 17 that I think, why did we just memorize 16? We need 17. Because my church didn't believe in 17. We need 17, don't we? He didn't come down here to condemn you. He came down here to save you. Wow. We have to stop there. I didn't even ask for questions. I guess it's because I've been babysitting boys and this is my first chance to talk. <laughs> we'll see you next week. Cheers. Cheers.